0: Well, today we're starting a new series of scripture talks called Kings and Queens, based on uh, the leaders of Israel in the ancient world. And uh, there's much to be learned from the example of um, those who've been recorded for us in the Older and New Testaments. And uh, sometimes we learn from what they got right, and sometimes we learn from what they didn't get right. And uh, so there was a time in Israel's history when they didn't have a king or a queen, they were a theocracy ruled by God. And, uh, but they wanted to be like the neighboring nations around them, and so they opted for a king of their own. And uh, so the very first king, King Saul, will be our um, character to look at this morning. And, uh, but just before we step into the teaching theme for today, uh, we are participating in a church-wide 37-day uh, Bible reading plan, and we'd love to have you be a part of it. It actually started on Monday, so we're only a week in. Uh, There's still time for you to join. You can head over to our website, kingstreet.org. Go to the events page and you can uh, find the Bible reading plan there. And uh, you can also go to a previous e-news that was sent out earlier this week and find the Bible reading plan there as well. It's a wonderful way to stay current with us as we work through this teaching series. Um, We're gonna find our way through um, the kings and queens of Israel. uh, And it will take us right through the Lent season and it'll culminate on Good Friday as we talk about Jesus, who's the king of thorns. And on uh, uh, Easter Sunday, when we talk about Jesus being the King of Life. And so um, we're really looking forward to the series of learning from Israel's kings and queens. And so um, we have a a scripture passage to ponder that we'll take with us over the next number of weeks found in John's Gospel, chapter 18, verse 36. And again, because the culmination of this series ends on Easter weekend, we're reminded of the one who got it right, King Jesus. And uh, so this is what he said in verse 36 of John, chapter 18. My kingdom is not of this world, if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place." And so Jesus acknowledges again that his kingly rule is of another world. There's a whole other way of leading and serving. And this is what Jesus, um, again, reminds us of through his life and ministry. Um, So we are going to spend some time looking at the first King of Israel today, King Saul. Uh, He's known for a few things, and um, most of them are not very positive. And when reading the narrative of King Saul, it's pretty hard not to notice that he was a a rather insecure king or an insecure leader who struggled with uh, jealousy and anger. And he seemed to be motivated somewhat by some unresolved fear in his life. And uh, so our teaching theme this morning is about restraining um, jealousy and anger. And, So our teaching theme will help us consider what it means to push back against those um, problematic behaviors that can actually really harm us personally and the ones we love. But just before we dive into the teaching theme and we take a look at a backstory to help set up the teaching for this morning, we need to just be clear about what jealousy and anger are. So I've put together just a brief uh, definition of both of them. Uh, Jealousy is about fear primarily of losing what we have. Um, Sometimes jealousy and envy can be misunderstood. Envy is about wanting what we don't have. Jealousy is rooted in uh, this fear of losing what we already have. If somebody is a jealous spouse, they're concerned that their spouse is going to step out on them. And so they're afraid of losing something that they already have. And so there can be slight variances in our definition of jealous, for and jealous of someone, Uh, but jealousy is primarily about this fear of losing something that we already have. And then um, this idea of anger is rooted in um, the concept of uh, unmet needs. When we don't have our needs met, um, unfortunately what can happen is we can um, become angry and, and express that anger in a way that really hurts other people. And it ultimately comes down from a place of a feeling that our primary needs have been somewhat unmet. And so that's how we generally respond. So there are two very important passages to keep in mind today as we move through today's teaching. Uh, The first one is found in James chapter four, the first two verses, and this will hopefully cast a bit of light on this idea of unmet needs and how we can become angry sometimes. So James writes and says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? This is chapter four, the first two verses of James' epistle. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. Some translations actually say jealousy. This is the overlap between um, coveting or envy and jealousy. Uh, you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And so this passage really helps us understand that when we are arguing or when we are fighting, it comes from a place of lack or a place of unmet needs in our life. And then James says, you know, we have unmet needs because we're not looking to God. So we need to keep that as a big framework for us as we consider uh, this whole idea of of the anger that we can experience and the unmet needs that unmet needs that are really at work in our own lives. And then uh, one other passage to keep in front of us is taken from Exodus 34, verse six. This is repeated in different ways in the Old Testament, but it's a beautiful passage as we consider the nature and the character of God. Um, and so the writer tells us in Exodus 34 that um, the Lord passed in front of Moses proclaiming his name. He said, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, and you could underline this part, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Uh, God is slow to get angry. Uh, Sometimes we might think God can be incredibly volatile. The text tells us that God is slow to get angry. And if we were to cross compare that with the teaching from James, uh, God doesn't have any unmet needs. And so there isn't any threat to his rule or to his kingship. And so he is slow to become angry. Okay, so let's take a look at the backstory of King Saul and then we'll dive into a handful of texts and then bring it to some application points for us today. Um, So right from the very beginning of the story of King Saul, we gain a picture of his leadership. Um, And the picture is he's timid, he's insecure, he seems to be afraid, and he seems to be somewhat impulsive. That's sort of how we look at King Saul. He's timid, insecure, he's afraid and somewhat impulsive. So Saul's timidity, or timidity, I'm sorry, and insecurity. Let's take a look at a passage from 1 Samuel chapter 10. This is at the very beginning of his um, uh, being anointed as king. So when Samuel ha- had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. That's the, the tribe that he was fr- from, and we'll come back to that in a moment. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Maitre's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies, or some of the baggage is said in other passages. They ran and brought him out, and as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, long live the king. And so this story again, early on reminds us that Saul in his early days seemed to be timid, seemed to be insecure. And he's a little bit nervous and shy and uh, hiding among some of the the baggage or the supplies. And so uh, we need to remember that this is how Saul was beginning his leadership. Uh, rule and reign in, in Israel. And then we'll take a look at his fear and his impulsivity. Uh, we'll take a look at um, 1 Samuel 13, beginning at the second part of verse seven. It says here, Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. Remember, we're thinking about Saul's fear and his impulsivity. But the troops that were around him were nervous and afraid. He waited seven days, because that was the time allotted by Samuel. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal and Saul's men began to scatter. So all the the, the troops are beginning to scatter and Saul's feeling, I've got to do something. Here comes the impulsivity. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he had finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and anointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. And so we learn early on, I mentioned about Saul being from the tribe of Benjamin and uh, they were not permitted to be offering sacrifices. In fact, this was a role that the priests of Israel were to um, undertake and they were from the tribe of Levi. And so um, Saul overreaches or oversteps and, demonstrates a measure of impulsivity. He lacked the patience to wait for the right time. And you know, there's a principle there for us. We sometimes operate on our own timeline. We have a chronology about how we want things to be done. And we sometimes can be guilty of pushing forward and sometimes pushing forward um, too aggressively. And when we do that, we overreach, we overstep, we become impulsive. And so this was a problem in Saul's character. Um, He struggled, of course, as we've already looked at, with a sense of timidity and insecurity early on in his story. And then we also see this fear as he's trying to retain his troops and kind of gather support and not lose it. Um, And then he overreaches with impulsivity. So this seems to be a character trait within Saul. So I've got two big ideas for you and we'll flesh them out as we move along. Here's the first one. When we don't get our legitimate needs met properly, we are vulnerable to experience jealousy, anger, and fear. Okay, so let's take a look at our um, primary passage for today. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses um, five through 16. So um, again, when we don't get our legitimate needs met, we are vulnerable to experience jealousy, anger, and fear. So here's the passage. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, well, who is him? It's David. David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops. You know, David was a crowd favorite. And Saul's officers as well. And when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out, the Philistine is Goliath. uh, The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. And as they danced, they sang this refrain, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. So Saul, he's a hero. He's killed, slain thousands. David, he is like a off the charts hero. He has slain his tens of thousands. And so Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. There was like a a change in Saul's um, character or leadership or demeanor. His disposition was dramatically altered in some way. Um, And so he was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre or his stringed instrument and as he he usually did. And Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. So (laughs) Saul was taking target practice with David. And Saul was afraid of David, it says again, because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. There was a sense in which the favor of God had lifted off of Saul's life. And so he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. Probably Saul was secretly hoping that David would get killed in battle. But in everything he did, this is David, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. It's repeated again. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. So again, uh, when we are uh, not getting our primary needs met, we are vulnerable to jealousy, anger, and fear, and that's very clear through this passage. So jealousy, first of all. Um, When we're experiencing jealousy, we're afraid of what it is that we lack or we think we're about to lose that would cause our life to become somewhat incomplete. And so we have attached ourselves to something or to someone and the, the idea of losing it is overwhelming to us. And so we are prone to experience or vulnerable to experience these, um, these emotions or experiences of, of jealousy. And this is what Saul had, and he was, he was latching on to this idea that fame and notoriety and being the solitary person in the spotlight was something he could not let go of, which is really ironic because early on in his leadership, he was hiding away with the supplies or with all the baggage, and he was timid and insecure. He's still insecure, but he seems to have become um, very much a command and control leader who has to be in the spotlight and who cannot share any of that light with anyone else. And so jealousy can be incredibly problematic. It has an interpersonal dynamic to it. And uh, it's hard to love other people when we're jealous of them and, uh, or jealous for them. And so I've often said before that it's hard to love your neighbor when you're competing with them. And uh, so, so love needs to flow purely and jealousy gets in the way of that kind of love. In fact, the inverse emerges for, for Saul and David where he becomes angry and so when we don't have our legitimate needs met, we can get angry as well. And uh, one thing we struggle to do is to tell other people what we need. For some reason that makes us feel vulnerable. And so sometimes we just expect people to read our minds or to understand everything that it is that we need in a given moment in time. And when we don't get it, we blame other people. And, and whether that be a spouse, a family member, a coworker, an employer, um, maybe even the world around us, treating you unfairly, The world knows what I need and I never seem to get it. And then an anger just seems to become the operation system of the soul. And when we're angry people, the best doesn't flow freely from us. And so self-awareness is really, really important in all of life and especially in leadership. If we have blind spots or are unaware of the things that we're prone to do, or if we're somehow uh, allowing the shadowy places of our own life to dominate us in some way, uh, we can be a little bit more dangerous than we than we know, and so for Saul, he he has lost a sense of healthy self awareness. Um, self awareness contributes positively, not just to personal health and well being, but it contributes positively to relation relationships. Uh, when we lack self-awareness, we we transgress and we overreach and overstep and uh, we, we we act out and, and it can be incredibly problematic. It doesn't appear that King Saul has high levels of self-awareness and it resulted in his angry outbursts. If he could have only been aware of what triggered him when the ladies had gone on to their refrain of affirming David for tens of thousands and Saul for only thousands, if he could have understood what that did for him and he brought it to the right source where God would have been the one who met his primary needs, a lot of this could have very likely been avoided. So when we don't have our legitimate needs met, not only do we, are we vulnerable to experience jealousy and anger, but we can also um, feed the fear that might be uh, lurking, lurking in our soul. Saul became afraid of David. He was threatened by him. He saw him as a person who could potentially take away his power and privilege. And when we see other people around who are shining bright and having successes, and when we're insecure and when we're not operating from a place where God is meeting our primary needs, we can look at those other people and we can actually um, resent their successes or maybe even celebrate their losses. And so this is the the, the place where Saul is coming from. And um, when we're not content and confident in who we are, um, we're vulnerable. Uh, I repeat this often to myself and I share it with our church family. It's, a, it's, a, it's something worth memorizing. At least I found that in my own experience. Henry Nouwen says these words and they are so, so true. He says this, I am not what I do. I am not what I have. I am not what other people say about me. I am the beloved of God. It's who I am and no one can take that away from me. Therefore, I don't have to hurry. I don't have to be in a rush. I don't have to worry about losing anything. I can trust my friend Jesus and share his love with the world. I love that. I'm not what I do. My vocation doesn't define me. My worst moment doesn't define me. My best moment doesn't define me. I'm not what I do. I'm not what I have, whether I have a lot or a little. I am the beloved of God. I'm in the crosshairs of God's love. That's what defines me. And when we operate from that place, we celebrate the successes of others. We cheer for those who are coming behind us. We make space for others to use their gifts and to find a stage of their own, so to speak, where they can shine brightly. That's the way of the kingdom of God. This was not the way of the kingdom of King Saul. So our first thought for consideration today is, When we don't get our legitimate needs met uh, properly from God, the, the right source, we're vulnerable to experience jealousy, anger, and fear. Now, secondly, when we don't deal with the interior matters of our soul in a healthy manner, our external world can be impacted. When we don't deal with the inside stuff, it doesn't take long before the inside stuff Um, overflows into the outside part of my experience, which unfortunately impacts the lives of other people. Saul's angry outburst did not just create toxicity for himself, the toxicity was already there, but his angry outburst created a toxic environment for everyone else, and especially for David, and for his son, Jonathan, whom had a wonderful friendship uh, together, David and Jonathan. Saul impacted his own son, it impacted David's life, and, and the, the, the residual impact was far and wide. Um, there is uh, an idea in Jewish, in the Jewish rabbinical literature that calls what we would call the sin nature. Um, they call it the Yatzer hera, and it's uh, what they would call the evil instinct. That's how they describe the lower nature or the sin nature, the Yetzir Hara. Um, when the evil instinct is at play, and when somebody exercises or says yes to that instinct, um, they impact the world around them. The rabbis would say there is no such thing as an isolated act of Yetzir Hara. Uh, There is a domino effect. Every time we give in to our evil instinct or say yes to our lower nature, um, we trigger something that's way beyond just us. Uh, Yes, we change, and it's not always for the better. In fact, it never is when we choose a life of sin, or we say yes to, as the Jewish rabbis say, the yetzer hara. Um, But at the end of the day, sin is never solitary. There is always an overflow that impacts other people. Jealousy and destructive anger runs on the fuel of unmet needs and a distorted view of God of God's capacity to meet our needs. So we have this idea that God is just not gonna be enough for me. And so we end up having to have supplemental things that actually fill up the soul. And when those things are kept from us, it brings out the worst in us. And so this is what we see happening in Saul's life. But when we're secure and we live open-handed, when we are insecure, we become tight-fisted. Right, We have this idea of jealousy as holding tightly to things and the idea of losing it petrifies us. And then on the other hand, we have this anger that the fist is holding too tightly and then this is an, an act of violence against others. And it's not always physical, but it can be with our words or our actions. And so we, we have this show up in the life of Saul and it's problematic for him and it's problematic for the people around him and it's problematic for Israel itself. So let me leave you with three take homes for today that hopefully will become life lessons for us as we consider the first king of Israel in this series uh, called Kings and Queens. Here's the first one. Um, We need to acknowledge our unmet needs and bring them to God. That's our first step forward in um, disempowering our own insecurity. So we have to be honest about the unmet needs that we do have and bring those to God and say, I'm vulnerable and I'm lacking here and I need you to help me. And when we allow God um, to, to be the primary source um, of our um, need meeting initiatives, um, we are moving in all the right directions as opposed to looking to other things or to even other people because people can let us down. People can over promise and under deliver. And, and when we have those things either deprived from us or taken away from us, if we have put the full weight of our life on them, or at least a significant weight of our life on them, we can end up experiencing severe disappointment, sometimes jealousy and anger, and uh, and fear can be pervasive for us. And we're just not at our best at that point. So number two, um, another take home is this, putting some distance between our emotions and our actions can help us act responsibly and maturely. So sometimes emotions just come up and they're just like almost instantaneous. They, they arrive in the moment, in real time, and we're confronted with something for some reason. We heard something, we observed something, or we had something kept from us. And all of a sudden it's like instantaneous, I'm feeling this emotion. Well, I think it's wise for us. King Saul didn't do it, he was holding a spear. He was already clutching something that could hurt someone else. And he was quick to use it. And, and he had these emotions that just came and he, he didn't put any distance or space between what he felt and what he did. Um, I often think it's nice to go take a long walk. It's nice to go and find a quiet space. Um, The emotions can sometimes lose their their veracity in our life when we actually quiet our soul, put some space between what we're feeling, what we're thinking, and then allow them just to be dialed back through the proper use of time. And uh, Saul would have done well to do that. And then finally, our last thought is this. Celebrating other people's accomplishments lifts everyone's spirit, including our own and it weakens our need to make life all about us. You know, sometimes we can have a tendency to think the whole world is about us, that we're at the center of the universe. And really the call to follow Jesus is a progressive, ongoing experience of learning to step out of the center of our own lives and to put Jesus' kingdom and his his presence, his leadership at the center. And when we recognize that Jesus is at the center, we are more um, prone to including other people Uh, And and include instead of substituting ourselves to be at the center of life, we need to make room for other people. We need to celebrate their accomplishments. We need to speak well of them. We need to find ways to affirm them as opposed to criticize them and see them as threats. And so um, maybe this week we can be on the lookout, not for how other people are recognizing us, but instead how we can be recognizing others and making a great deal of them. So I hope you will stay tuned and dial in and connect with us over the next number of weeks as we walk through a series of kings and queens uh, from Israel's history. There will be a myriad of life lessons for us, emulating some of the things they got right, and again, trying to push back against some of the things they got wrong. So let me pray for you, and then we'll invite our host pastors to come back. Lord, thank you again today for the examples that we have in scripture, where we can take heart and where we can learn where we can grow and uh, whether it be the examples of men and women getting it right or, or maybe men and women not getting it so right. Pray, God, that you would make us wise as we walk through this series. And for the week ahead, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be aware of the emotions we experience and, and some of the unmet needs in our life and where we might be looking to get those needs met. And I also pray, God, that you would help us to be on the lookout for others on how we can make a great big deal of them and to uh, step out of the spotlight a little more often and let other people find their uh, their center of stage, so to speak. So God, thank you again for your word. It always has something to say to us. May you cause our hearts always to be open and make us fruitful, we pray. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.